I'd ask you if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. I'm going to be preaching again on the, the fourth commandment from Exodus 20 verses 8 to 11, but I'm going to read um, the, the whole of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20 verse 1 um, to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or a, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage of Scripture. Lord, I am keenly aware of my weakness and my frailty and my inability to be able to communicate these things in a way that is clear and yet alone compelling. Lord, I am conscious of your Holy Spirit who works in the hearts of your people in accordance with your word. Lord, I pray now confident that your spirit will work in the hearts of your people and that you help each one of us to seek to understand and to submit to your holy law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 12 or 13 years old, my parents took me to see the movie Chariots of Fire. It portrays the true story of Eric Liddell, the Scottish sprinter who refused to run in the 1924 Paris Olympics 100-meter heats out of faith and obedience to the Lord because that race was being held on a Sunday. At one point in the film, Liddell was, was approached by the Duke of Sutherland, who was the president of the British Olympic Committee, and the Prince of Wales, who was the, the future King of England. And they tried to pressure Liddell into running. He refused, saying, I won't run on a Sabbath. That's final. They tried to appeal to him on the basis of loyalty to king and country, but Liddell responded, God made countries. God makes kings and the rules by which they govern. And those rules say that the Sabbath is his. And I, for one, intend to keep it that way. Liddell instead ran the 400 meter race, a distance that he'd never trained for, and he won Olympic gold. He won gold for his country, but ultimately he won for the glory of God. The next year, Liddell returned to China as a missionary, back to the place of his birth, following in his parents' footsteps. And during World War II, he was taken prisoner by the Japanese and remained as a prisoner in an internment camp until his death in 1945. Chariots of Fire would go on to win seven Academy Awards, including the 1982 Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay. 
And the confrontation between Liddell and, and these, these leaders in his nation was a, was a poignant scene in a powerful movie. But its point was completely lost on me. I actually fell asleep by watching, while watching that movie. It would be another 10 years before the significance of the message of that movie would begin to dawn on me. And it was in 1992, 10 years later, that I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Interestingly, it was also the year that the Sunday shopping laws were repealed in Ontario. And so for the first time in my life, and in fact, for the first time in the history of Canada, stores were allowed to be open on Sundays. Now, 1992 wasn't very long ago. And in historical terms, 1924 wasn't all that long ago either. But we think about how much has changed. It's really quite appropriate that the fourth commandment begins, remember the Sabbath day. By the time the Ten Commandments were written on, in stone by the finger of God and given to Moses on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel needed to be reminded, remember the Sabbath. Well, friends, the church needs to be reminded too. Despite the fact that throughout history, faithful theologians and pastors have reminded the church to remember the Sabbath, people forget. Throughout church history, from the, the 20th century, to the Puritans, to the Reformers, to the Church Fathers, many have reminded us to remember the Sabbath. Doesn't it strike you as odd that throughout most of the history of the Church, Christians have kept the Sabbath until very recently? New developments in medicine or technology are usually good. New, develop, new developments in theology are not. New developments in theology are almost always wrong. Theologians throughout the ages have pointed to the clear teaching of God's word on the continuing role of the Sabbath in the life of the New Testament believer. Listen to the words of Ignatius of Antioch, who's widely considered to have been a disciple of the Apostle John. Yes, that Apostle John. Let everyone that loveth Christ keep holy the first day of the week, the Lord's day. Now there's plenty of material in the scriptures on the Sabbath day to draw from. There are four verses explaining the fourth commandment more than any other commandment. The reference to a weekly Sabbath comes up more often in the, in the Old Testament than any other commandment. And it's not just the Old Testament. It's mentioned more than any other commandment in the New Testament as well. It goes back prior to Sinai. It goes all the way back prior to the fall, prior even to the creation of man. Yet in less than 30 years, the Sabbath has faded into obscurity in the church, let alone in the culture. Many Christians in our day deny the continuing applicability of the fourth commandment to the New Testament church. Some view it as anachronistic or, or legalistic or belonging to a different covenant or a different dispensation. How easily we forget. What does the Bible say? Let me read again the commandment. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We've seen that the first commandment is about who we must worship. The second is about how we must worship him. The third is about who we are worshiping. And the fourth is about when we should worship him. 
The Lord is the Lord of time, and he has the right to determine how the time he gives us is to be used. The Hebrew word translated Sabbath is, is actually comes from the, the Hebrew word meaning ceasing. And Sabbath, singular, is to be distinguished from Sabbaths, plural. The Sabbaths, plural, uh, refer to the, the feast days that are tied to the ceremonial law, the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, New Moon Festivals, and so on, that have been fulfilled in their purpose appointing to Christ and what he was going to do. The Lord has set apart this one day in seven as part of his moral law, presented here as one of the Ten Commandments. As we've seen repeatedly in our studies of the Ten Commandments, that, that, that we've seen that, that where a duty is required, a contrary sin is forbidden. And where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is required. Back in 2005, when I was in Australia, having been challenged by my mentor to consider seminary training, I began to search for a solid seminary. And I, when I did that, I wanted to, to think about where the, the seminary was at on, on some key issues, and that would help me to determine their response to the Word of God. So I did a search on the words seminary, election, and Lord's Day. Well, the first page that, that came up in my search was the Abstract of Principles for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, their Statement of Faith. And my heart leapt as I read that document. Very clearly, it teaches the, these, these things that are fundamental to what we should believe and follow as Christians. Listen to what the abstract says about the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is a Christian institution for regular observance, and should be employed in exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private, resting from worldly employments and amusements, works of necessity and mercy only accepted. And you can, you can read about the formation of this abstract of principles on the Southern Seminary website. It was, it was founded, it was as the, the founders of Southern Seminary got together in 1858 to, to to form a seminary, they want to say, these are the things that we want our seminary to be founded on. These are the principles. And so they, they drew from the, the 1689 Baptist Confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Philadelphia and New Hampshire declarations, and they put together this abstract of principles, this, the statement of faith. And I thought, if, if this is what the seminary teaches, that's where I want to study. Because it... it, it pointed to the fact that they would hold to the authority and the inerrancy of God's word. But I'm sad to say that, that I found out that even, when, even though there were pro the professors are required to sign a statement saying that they agree with the abstract of principles, that not all of the uh, professors agree with it. When it comes to this, this issue of the continuation of the, the Lord's Day Sabbath for Christians, which is very clear in the abstract of principles, and, and I argue very clear in the Word of God, that, that, that uh, one professor in particular flat out denied it. So I'm, uh, that, that, that troubles me. I'm thankful, though, that the, there is a founders movement within the Southern Baptist Convention that is focused on preserving the foundational principles that Southern Seminary was founded on. And I would, I would commend to you uh, founders.org. It's, it's a great website with great historical resources that, that go back to what Baptists have historically believed throughout Baptist history. But what I want us to, to notice here as we focus on this fourth commandment, as we've seen through each of the commandments, again, that there are duties commanded and sins forbidden. Now, there, there are, the fact that there are duties commanded and, and sins forbidden is actually more explicit here in the fourth commandment than, than any of the other commandments. So let's look at the duties commanded. Let's look at the duties commanded. I have, I have five things that I'd like for us to walk through here. First of all, remember the Sabbath. Notice that it's a positive command. Remember the Sabbath. And this word remember figures prominently in, in Reformed and Puritan exegesis of the passage. This is the only command where there is, there is a prefix like this attached. To, to remember means to, to watch carefully, to attend diligently to this commandment. Nicholas Bound points out that, 
that this is a reminder of something of the past. He says that Moses in the beginning spoke of it accordingly so that when God gave this law unto them, he did not then first make it known to them, but renewed the memory of that unto them which they knew before. So in other words, the, the, the command for a weekly Sabbath observance wasn't new to Israel at Mount Sinai. The Sabbath command is mentioned explicitly in conjunction with the Lord providing manna for Israel in the wilderness. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to Exodus uh, chapter 16, verses 22 to 30. Exodus 16, 22 to 30. So here we see that after the people grumbled, the Lord said that he would give them manna, that he would provide manna. It was a, a, a white, flaky-like substance that, that would be found on the ground every morning, except one. When the people tried to, to gather extra for the next day, it, it, it stank and was, was full of worms. But on the sixth day, the people gathered twice as much and saved some until morning as the Lord had instructed them in verse 5. And this time it didn't stink or, or get wormy. Now some went out to look on the, on the seventh day, but, but there was, was no manna there. God was only bringing the manna down six days. And Moses explained in verse 25, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. But here in the wilderness wandering in Exodus 13 is, is not the first time that God's commandments were, were kept. All of the commandments, one through ten, were written on the heart of man as part of God's moral law as part of God's moral law that was, was written on the heart of man before the fall. But because of the fall, it was impossible for men to be able to, to keep even really the least point of God's moral law. Matthew Henry notes that Abraham was, was also presented as a being obedient to the commandment of God in Genesis 26.5, where the Lord says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. We talked about this when we are going through Genesis, that, that here we have, we have Abraham doing these things, even though they were not yet codified on Sinai. Henry says that from this we may, we may intimate that Abraham's obedience was universal, that he obeyed the original laws of nature, revealed the revealed laws of divine worship. But in order to remember the commandment, you have to go back, not just before Sinai, not just before Moses, not just before Abraham, but you have to go all the way back. You have to go back even before Adam. Look down at Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So again, this is not just part of, of the Mosaic law. The, the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Back to the, the first seventh day. So this commandment was not introduced as part of the Mosaic law. And remember, we aren't under the Mosaic law any longer. Remember John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1.17, The whole law of Moses, civil, ceremonial, and moral, has been abrogated. As John Owen said, the time would come when the whole Mosaic law, as it, to its legal or covenant efficacy, should be disannulled unto the unspeakable advantage of the church. So the, the Mosaic law no longer functions as old covenant law for those who are in Christ. We, we are not under the old covenant, we are under the new covenant, the new covenant in Christ. The same covenant that Jeremiah writes about in Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, the same law that is, is written on the hearts of God's people as part of the new covenant is the same moral law that was in view here and throughout the scriptures. 
so that we're no longer under the old covenant, we are under the new covenant, the, but the moral law is still very important as mediated by Christ. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that, that whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 19. And then he went on in the rest of the, the Sermon on the Mount to show just how rigorous the commandments are. The, the moral law then, the, the Ten Commandments, have a, a vital purpose in showing us God's moral requirements and in showing us our need for Christ as the only one who kept the moral law, as the one who died in the place of his people who didn't. So that, that first part of it is to remember the Sabbath. And the second is to keep it holy. To keep it holy, we are to set the Sabbath apart each week. Have you ever thought about where the week comes from? Well, the days of the, of the year come from the rotation of the earth around the sun. The days of the moon come from the rotation of the, the moon around the earth. And the day itself comes from the earth's rotation on its axis. But where does the week come from? Seven days, it seems kind of random. But the Lord made the week. Look again at Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. The Lord made all the days of the week, but he made one holy. Again, look at the end of verse 11. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Lord made the Sabbath holy, so we are to try to keep the Sabbath holy. We are to treat the Sabbath as the Lord treated the Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy for us because the Sabbath was holy for him. And so keeping the Sabbath holy means to set it apart as, as special, as, as consecrated unto the Lord. Keeping the Sabbath holy doesn't mean that it's a burden. The Lord didn't command us to keep the Sabbath holy as a drudgery. He gave it to us as a delight. Listen to Isaiah 58, verses 12 and 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has, has spoken. So when you set the, the Sabbath apart as holy, when you delight in the Sabbath, you will grow in your delight for the Lord. Do you see that there? Look at, at the beginning of verse 14. Call the Sabbath a delight, and you will take delight in the Lord. And it really makes sense, doesn't it? You, you see this principle in your relationships, in your friendships, and it's especially in your marriage. When you set time together with, with your friends, or especially with your, your spouse, then your relationship grows more special, doesn't it? We love God, so we want to spend focused time with Him. Thomas Watson says that, that duties not mingled with love are as burdensome, burdensome to God as they are to us. To do duty without love is not sacrifice, but penance. And, and, and that takes us to the, the next duty that is required in the fourth commandment, the, the duty of worship. The duty of worship. The Lord gave us the weekly Sabbath as an opportunity to focus on worship. Uh, of course, we're, we're to worship the Lord every day. All of life is to be worshipped. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
all of life is to be worship. I get that. Yet you and I know that it often doesn't work that way. Because work often gets in the way. And so does play. You get so busy with the daily grind and, and the cares of life that, that you can't spend time in focused worship for the week. You get so busy with the amusements of life that you don't spend time in worship through the week. You, you, you get to Sunday and you, you feel like, like you have to get more done and or you, you feel like you have to have time for a break to, to spend in worldly amusements. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong in and of themselves, so, so long as they're kept in their proper place. I'm not saying that you can't work or, or even play for the glory of God. But I am saying that you can't, you often can't give worship the focus that it deserves because of distractions. And that's what the Sabbath is for. Edward Fisher in The Marrow of Modern Divinity su suggests several practical ways that we can worship particularly on the Sabbath. Prayer, reading, meditation, public assembly, ascent of mind, fervency of affection and prayer, and hearing the word preached, singing of psalms, baptism, the Lord's Supper. And to that, to that I would add reading good theological books and going for a walk and meditating on God's works in creation and salvation and, and, and spending time in, in sweet fellowship with, with brothers and sisters. Now, some of these things we could do every day. Some of these things we only do on the Sabbath, but we can't do any of them as readily on the other six days as we can do them on the Sabbath. The, the Puritans referred to the Sabbath as the market day for the soul. Robert Bailey wrote, or sorry, Lewis Bailey wrote that the, the, the Sabbath day is, is God's market day for the week's provision, wherein he will have us come to him to buy of him without silver or money the bread of angels and the water of life, the wine of the sacrament, the milk of the word to feed our souls, tried gold to, to enrich our faith, precious eye salve to heal our spiritual blindness, and the white raiment of Christ's righteousness to cover our filthy nakedness. So the Sabbath is the, the market day of the soul. It's the day to stock up on our spiritual resources, our spiritual provisions, a, a day to focus on the blessings that we have received in Christ and to worship Him for those blessings. And so the Lord has set apart one day in seven, one special day, when, when His people are to set aside their, their regular rush and recreation one day as a gift in which his people are to rest. So God has set this day for his people to, to come together and restfully worship him together, not thinking about what you got to do to get out of here, to go in and do whatever else it is that you feel you need to do on Sunday. Now, as a pastor, I have a privilege that few have. I get to spend many hours each week studying God's Word. I get to spend many hours each week talking to others about God. Very few among us can do that, except maybe for, for a few retired folks. But I know how busy retirement can be as well. Now, yes, you might be able to, to listen to sermons while you're working. You, you might be able to chat with with coworkers or family members about God while you're doing what needs to get done. But I know how life generally goes. I worked as a, a school teacher for 10 years and, and even with the, the 11 weeks of holidays that I had a year, time quickly got filled up. And, and even with good things. But if I was not careful to, to, to put, care, put boundaries on this special time that the Lord had given me as a gift to set apart for him, then that would quickly get squeezed out as well. God has given you the Sabbath as a gift. It's a glorious privilege. It's a day to be able to spend on the focused worship of God in a way that you can't the other six days. Now, does that sound like a drag to you? 
Does it sound constraining to you? Does it sound boring to you? I hope not, because this is how Christians are going to spend eternity. Worshiping God, free from distraction. You have been invited to do something now that is a foretaste of what you're going to be able to do in heaven. So the first is, is to remember the Sabbath. The second is to, to set it apart as holy. The third is to, to rest. The Lord has given you the Sabbath as a day of rest. He gave one special day each week in which his people are to set aside again the, the regular rush and, and recreation, one day to rest. Now, biblical Sabbath observance is not legalism. It can be legalism. If you, if you get so wrapped up in what you can't do that you forget what you can do. If you try to use Sabbath-keeping or, or any one of, of God's commandments to, to earn the favor of God, that's legalism. You're, you're, you're doing something that, that, that takes away from the gift of salvation of, of Jesus Christ who, who lived these commandments for you. But you get to rest as God's gift to you. If your boss were to come up to you and say, you know, I see that you've been working really hard. Why don't you take tomorrow off? Or, or wise, if, if your husband was to say, wow, you know, you've been, you've been working really hard with the kids. Look, why, why, don't, you, why don't you go out and, and, and spend some time at a, at a coffee shop reading the Bible and and, or or taking, taking another good book with you to read and, and I'll look after the kids and I'll take care of things around the home. Would you feel constrained by that? Would you feel inconvenienced by that? Well, of course not. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to rest. But it's not just an opportunity for you as an individual to rest. Look at verse 10. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So under this is family, workers, visitors, even animals are being given an opportunity to rest as a pattern of, uh, in, the, in, the, in the week that God has given. Now in our culture, so many people are, are so focused and, and trying to work that, that people rarely get to spend time to, together as families, let alone coming together to, to worship God in, with, with the rest of God's people and, and to spend time in, in fellowship, just, just enjoying each other in God's presence. The principle of the, of the weekly Sabbath was, was first introduced to me around 20 years ago when I was living in Australia. It was a very busy time. And at first, it did not make any logical sense to set aside a day in my busy schedule. But I remember so well, I, I woke up in the morning, and as was, was often the case, that I would I wake up in the morning beginning to think about what I had to get done. But then I realized, hang on, this is the Sabbath. I don't need to do those things today. I don't even need to think about those things today. And you know what, this, this actually made me even more conscious of the, the rest of the week, of the time that I had during the week to be, to be more efficient, to get more done in, in preparation for the Sabbath. Now, I later realized that there, there were, were elements in the teaching that I was under that were unbiblical. But as, as, as these became corrected in my study of God's Word, I began to enjoy the Sabbath even more. And now that the busier I am, the more I anticipate the Sabbath, the more I appreciate the Sabbath. And I think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so busy, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Even in seminary, I determined that, that, that I wasn't going to, to spend the Sunday studying and working on papers. Now, the, the subject matter that I was studying, the things that I was, I was reading were, were excellent and, and definitely Sabbath-worthy. But it was different when it was something that I had to do. And so the Sabbath provided a day for me 
not to even think about all that I had to get done. And, and if I wanted to, to, to read something else for my, my, my personal spiritual benefit other than what had been assigned to me by my professors, that was a day that I could do that. It, it was also a day that, that I, could, I could spend in, in fellowship with friends without, without worrying about having to get back to the books. So friends, the Lord didn't give us the weekly Sabbath as a work. He gave it to us as a day to cease from work. The Lord didn't lay down the weekly Sabbath to be a burden to us. He gave it as a day to lay down our burdens. So the next is to, to labor six days, and, and these will be a little bit shorter. To labor six days. There's another positive duty that's required that, that sometimes get missed in studies of the fourth commandment. Yes, the focus is, is on resting on the Sabbath, but the commandment also deals with the other six days. Look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So are you, to, you are to work on the other six days. Here, A.W. Pink. Diligently attend unto that vocation and state of life in which the divine providence has placed us and perform its offices with care and conscience. So you aren't to be lazy when you should be working. You're, you are to work, as we, we read in, in Ephesians 4.28, we are to work so that we can provide for others. But in 2 Thess Thessalonians 3, Paul clearly commands that if a person isn't willing to work, that, that let him not eat, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Now, people are, for, for various reasons, unable to work. But if someone is not willing, if they're able to work but not willing to work, then we shouldn't provide them with food. Now, this is not politically correct, but I think this principle should govern homeless ministry. That if someone is not willing to work, he should not eat. We don't provide for him. We are commanded and we are encouraged to do our work quietly and to earn our own living, 2 Thessalonians 3.12. It's said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Well, Melanchthon calls idleness the devil's bath because he, the devil bathes himself with delight in an idle soul. People who aren't busy with proper work will easily become busy with sin. I would encourage you to meditate on Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The reformers rekindled the doctrine of vocation. That though our focus is heavenward, our religion is lived out in the world. Work was considered to be a vocation from the Latin word for calling. And so a Christian, they're saying, must consider not only heaven, but their calling. And so the reformers highlighted vocation in all of life, in family life, church life, work life, and life in the wider culture. John Calvin said that we can take comfort in knowing that no task will be so sordid and base provided you obey your calling in it, that it will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. So in those six days when you're working, as you work for the glory of God, the work gets, gets dragged up out of the drudgery and becomes an opportunity to worship. And so when you understand that, that all of life is to be lived in the working out of your calling by God, it transforms everything in your life. When you understand this, your attitude towards your work changes. God has commanded you to work six days. And when you work hard on those days, the Sabbath will be that much sweeter. In fact, part of your work on those six days is preparing for the Sabbath, not just spiritually, but practically. And again, the more you prepare for the Sabbath, the sweeter it will be. And there's all kinds of practical things you can do. Get clothes ready the night before. You could, you could even do some food preparation the night before so, so you're not rushing around on a Sunday. Go to bed at a decent time on a Saturday evening so you're not tired and fall asleep on Sunday morning. 
This, the Sabbath is not a day to sleep late and to, to roll out of bed and, and to rush to church. It's a day to get up at a decent time and spend some focused time alone with the Lord and with your family. It's a time for restful worship. So what's your calling? Worker, homemaker, student. Whatever you're doing, do it to the Lord on those six days so that you can rest on the Sabbath. Well, there's two final duties that were required on the Sabbath, and, and we're going to consider them together. The, 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 the works of necessity and works of mercy. Works of necessity and works of mercy. Now, there are some who say that, that only nine out of ten of the commandments are in the New Testament. But they're all there. Those people would say that, that that the Sabbath is the one that's not there in the New Testament, but the Sabbath is, is all over place, all over the place in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. Jesus regularly confronted the false teaching of the Pharisees during the course of his ministry. But there was one area of confrontation more than any other, the Sabbath. The Pharisees taught that the Mishnah was a system of, of 613 commandments that they had added to the law were required, and 39 of them governed activity on the Sabbath. And this is why Jesus intentionally healed on the Sabbath so often. Healing was outlawed by the Pharisees as a work, but Jesus said that healing is entirely lawful and loving. And Jesus taught and demonstrated that, that works of necessity and works of, mer of mercy are entirely appropriate on the Sabbath. So, so what are some of the, the works of, of necessity and mercy? Th things like provision of food and drink, helping people in need, especially in emergencies. And so doctors, nurses, police, and, and firemen don't, don't break the, the Sabbath when they, when, they, when they work on the Sabbath. Even animals, even pastors, it's the busiest day of the week for me. And Jesus used helping a, a son or an ox out of the pit as an example of what is entirely appropriate on the Sabbath in Luke 14.5. Works of, of mercy can and should mean visiting a shut-in. You can go and visit someone in a, in a retirement home, especially someone in the church, more easily on Sunday than you can on other days of the week. A number of years ago, a friend of mine, I just, I just moved back to Canada, and a friend of mine called me Saturday evening and said, what are you, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, it's, it's Sunday. I'll, I'll be going to church, and it was also Christmas Eve. Um, I, I said, why? What's up? And he said, well, I, I was wondering if you'd come snowboarding with me. And I said, oh, okay. And he, and he said, my father just died. And so would you, would you be willing to come snowboarding with me? And I said, I'm coming snowboarding with you. And so I, I spent that day in a way that, as, a, as, as I saw it as a, as a work of, of mercy, to, to reach out to this man as an unbeliever. And as a, as a result of that, I, he asked me to, to preach at his father's funeral. And the way I was able to minister to him. Now, there are many examples in the Gospels of Jesus ministering to people on the Sabbath. One of my favorites is in, is in John 9, when, when Jesus healed the man who had been born blind by making mud out of spit. Did this on the Sabbath. You ever wondered why Jesus did that? He didn't need to do that. He could have just healed the man with the word. Why did, why did he choose to make mud out of spit, kind of gross actually when you think about it, and, and put it on the man's eyes? It's because the Mishnah, the false teaching of the Pharisees, forbade making mud on the Sabbath. So Jesus showed them that this, this man-made law that they had added to the word of God was unbiblical. And so he performed a work of mercy. But there's another one that, that, that I want to focus on just for a few minutes. It's in, in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. And this, this one actually presents both works of, of necessity and mercy. Please uh, turn with me, if you will, in your, in your Bible to, to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, 23. So notice it's on the Sabbath that the, the disciples are, are going through the grain fields. As they made their way, they began to pluck heads of grain. 
And the Pharisees confronted Jesus, saying that his disciples were breaking the Sabbath. How does Jesus respond? He responds with the story of David eating the holy bread in the temple, even though only the priests were supposed to eat it. Now, so David here, Jesus is saying, might have, have technically broken the ceremonial law, but he was obeying a higher law. The, the Pharisees were missing the point of the Sabbath and of the law in general. The Sabbath wasn't meant to mean deprivation, but blessing. And Jesus would go on in, in Mark 3, 4, that is it lawful on the Sabbath to, to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And Jesus told the Pharisees, made the point quite clearly in chapter 2, 27, as it said to the children, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made first before man as a blessing for man. Right there, quite clearly in the New Testament, Jesus is affirming the ongoing role of the Sabbath. And it was also showing how he, as the Son of Man, had authority to teach what the Sabbath means. Verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So th those are the, the duties that are required. Well, what are the sins forbidden? Well, maybe you're sitting here thinking, it's 20 to 12, and he's only getting to this part now? Well, you might be relieved to know that I'm not going to focus on what you can't do on the Sabbath. It's not my goal here to lay down a list of, of things that you can't do on a Sunday. If you're focusing on what you can't do on a Sunday, you're missing the point. You have the wrong perspective. Instead, again, focus on what you can do. The, the things that you can do on Sundays that you can't do on the rest of the week. The emphasis here is, is on the word rest, pun intended. Not only do you get to worship God with your church family, but you can spend time in extended fellowship. That there's a reason why so, so many people stay back till 1 o'clock, 1.30, and later in our fellowship time, it's, it's because they, they've set aside this day as a day to worship God. You can refresh your soul by, by spending extra time in, in God's Word or, or in prayer, reading that good Christian book, going to, to visit someone from the church in, in a retirement home, and yes, even by taking a guilt-free, God-honoring Sunday afternoon nap. Friends, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's why we celebrate the Sabbath on the first day of the week instead of on the seventh. On the seventh day, God rested after his work of creation. On the first day, Jesus rose from his work of redemption. The Lord's day, Sabbath, points to the finished work of Jesus. We see repeatedly in the scriptures that the, the church met together on the first day of the week. It's referred to as the Lord's Day. John was in the Spirit and the Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 1. The Lord's Day Sabbath points to the finished work of Jesus. Please turn with me in, your, in the Bible for a moment for, to uh, Hebrews um, chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. And speaking of, of Israel and rejecting the rest that, that can be found in God, the writer of Hebrews says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now I've had people say to me, Jesus is my Sabbath. It's true. Jesus is ultimately, ultimately your rest. But he's also ultimately your morality, your honesty, your love, and so on. Jesus fulfilled all of the commandments and credited his obedience to your account when you turned to him in repentance and faith. But just because he is your righteousness does not mean that you aren't still supposed to seek to obey him. 
Yes, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the whole law, ceremonial, civil, and moral. But if we're going to be conformed into the image of Jesus as you've been predestined to be, then it means to follow in his steps. Jesus kept the Sabbath perfectly. Nowhere does the scripture say that the Sabbath or any of the moral law has been canceled. Quite the opposite. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says plainly, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying here that fulfillment does not mean abolishment. Jesus fulfilled the moral law for you. He died for your failure to do so. And so strive to enter the rest that is ultimately found in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for you are indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. We praise you for your perfect obedience. Lord, to the Sabbath law and to all of the law. And we praise you, Lord, that you have fulfilled that and credited your righteousness to our account. Lord, we praise you that you died for our failure to obey your moral law. Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to your word, to seek to be guided not by, by cultural conformity, but to look to the clear teaching of your word. And Lord, to so seek to order our lives accordingly in obedience to you for all that you have done for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.